Well, our sermon text for this first Sunday in Advent comes from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to look at chapter 21 and read the first nine verses. If you're able, please rise again for the hearing of God's holy word. And we read from the Gospel of Matthew in Jesus' holy name. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, now as we look at this passage from Matthew chapter 21, I pray that you would show us our sin, all the ways we have fallen short of your glory. Bring us to repentance, Lord, and point us to the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. By your word, strengthen our faith and ready us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Advent is that season of the year where we prepare to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We prepare to celebrate God putting on flesh and being born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, we all ate a feast of breakfast foods, or many of us did. If you didn't, there's still breakfast foods in there you can eat afterwards, I'm sure. You can at least eat mine because I don't want to bring it all home. But we had a feast this morning so that we can decorate the church and get it all ready and make things look festive for our celebration of Christmas. We've also entered into the uh, only time in the calendar year where it's appropriate to listen to Christmas music, right? From Thanksgiving to Christmas Day, and not a day on either side. Uh, probably a lot of you disagree with me on that one, and if you do, you're in very good company. Gretchen would agree with you. Uh, but thankfully, Gretchen no longer subjects me to the Mariah Carey Christmas album in the middle of July. So we've come... <laughs> We've come to an understanding on that one. But now that Thanksgiving is over, we've entered into what is, for many of us, the busiest time in the entire year. There are presents to buy. There are programs to get our kids for or to go and attend. There are parties to go to. There are family meals to plan. There are lights to hang and so very many things to decorate. The season of Advent is one that seems nonstop. It seems just crazy because it's filled with so much stuff. And you know what? I, I hate to admit this, but I've, I've kind of grown to hate the Advent season. You know, maybe it's because I'm an adult now, and so I don't lay awake all night wondering what Santa's going to leave me under the tree. Maybe it's because... When I go to parties now, I don't get to just show up and enjoy them, but I'm usually cooking and cleaning up after them and planning them. Maybe it's because I'm really bad at giving gifts and I can't ever figure out what to buy for people. 
Or maybe it's just because this whole season of Advent feels like there's barely even time to breathe. You know, more than likely, it's, it's a combination of all of these things that have made this season one that, you know, used to be my favorite into one that I kind of dread every year. But for me, the bright spot in the season of Advent is Sunday mornings. It's gathering with you for worship. Because in the midst of the chaos and the craziness and everything that this season is, being in church brings us back to what really matters. It's, it's our harbor in the midst of the storm. It's our peace in the middle of chaos. And frankly, it's not just our harbor and our peace during Advent. It's, it's always our, our refuge. Because right here on Sunday mornings, this is where heaven meets earth. This is where a holy God reaches out and speaks to sinful mankind and calls them to himself. And our text for this first week of Advent does that for us once again. On a first reading of this passage, it doesn't seem to fit in the Advent season. I mean, the first week of Advent, we should be reading about the birth of Christ or reading genealogies of Jesus or maybe even John's account in John chapter 1 about the Word putting on flesh to dwell amongst us. But instead, what we have is the account of the triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry is the start of Holy Week, that last week before the betrayal, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So rather than an account about the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth, we get an account that comes very near the end. And that doesn't seem quite right, but it, it actually is. You see, what really matters is not just that Jesus was born as that babe in Bethlehem, even though that was a great miracle, of course, and so is every birth, so is every child that is given. You see, we should celebrate the birth of every child that God chooses to bless people with. I, I rejoiced at the birth of Seth, my son, and Amelia, my daughter. I, I rejoiced when my sister had her daughter, Harper. I, I've rejoiced as, as many of you have had children, and I'm going to rejoice again when more children are born. The birth of Christ, it's, it's worth celebrating. There's no doubt and there's no question about it. But if we leave Jesus there in the manger and forget about what he came to do, well, then Christmas would be no different than just celebrating the birth of any other child. We, we rejoice in this season not just because Christ was born, but because of what he came to do. And the triumphal entry passage reminds us of that. So even though it seems strange for the first Sunday in Advent, it really isn't. Here in this passage, we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the very last time before his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And as he does, he rides in on a donkey, which was the fulfillment of a prophecy that we would find in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But riding in on a donkey for a king, it was also a sign of victory. If your king went into battle and came back on a donkey, you knew that the battle was won. You knew that he was coming in peace and bringing peace with him because he and his armies were triumphant. If the king comes galloping in on a horse, it's time to run because he probably has armies right at his heels after losing the battle. So as Jesus rode in, he's proclaiming peace and he's proclaiming victory, a victory that hasn't been won yet but soon would be. 
And as he rides in proclaiming that, the crowds call out to him saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They begin by calling him the son of David, which is a prophetic title for the Messiah. If you were to flip in your Bibles to 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says this to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God had promised to establish David's throne, his kingdom, and his house forever. A promise that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, a descendant of David who would lay down his life conquering sin, death, and the devil on the cross. And then he would ascend to the right hand of the Father to rule forevermore. Now, I don't think the crowds understood all of this and how that Jesus would establish this throne, but still, they correctly identified him as the Messiah, as the son of David. The crowds also said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, they properly identified Jesus as a servant of God the Father sent to do God's will. Once again, I doubt any of them had any idea how Jesus was going to fulfill God's will in laying down his life, but, but they got it correct. Jesus was the Messiah. He was God's anointed. He was sent to save, redeem, and restore. He, he came to make all things right and to earn forgiveness, restoration, and eternal life for all who, for all who would believe. The crowd also cried out, Hosanna, which is a word that's just transliterated from Aramaic. And it means, save, I pray. It was a cry of praise, but also a plea for salvation. And once again, though the crowd didn't understand it, Jesus had come to do exactly what they had asked for. That was the mission he was on to earn their salvation. Without truly understanding what they were doing, the crowd that day properly identified who Jesus was in the Messiah. They identified where he had come from. He had been sent by God as God's servant and identified his mission to bring salvation. They didn't understand it, but they got all of it right. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a crowd waving palm branches and calling out to the Messiah to be saved. And we know that's a mission that Jesus would accomplish. But he would do it in the most unexpected of ways. You see, he would be betrayed by a friend. He would be arrested and beaten and mocked and eventually crucified and would give up his life on the cross. His victory looked to everyone who could observe it like the most crushing of defeats. But as Jesus suffered and died, he was paying the price for the sins of the world. As the Apostle Paul said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus bore my sin and yours as he went to the cross, paying the full price that our sins had earned for us. He died in your place and in mine, facing God's wrath for our sin. 
You see, when Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a joke. For the only time in all of history, God the Father and God the Son were separated because Jesus had, to been, had been made sin with our sins. In that moment, as unbelievable as it is, Jesus experienced the hell that our sins had earned for us, being separated from the Father. In so doing, he fulfilled both the perfect justice of God and God pouring out his wrath upon the sins of the world and judging them justly. And he also fulfilled the perfect love of God in making a way for sinful humanity to be redeemed. That's what it means that Jesus is our propitiation, that he appeased the wrath of God, a wrath that was earned by our sin. With Jesus' sacrificial death, he made a way for sinful man to finally be at peace with God. When Jesus spoke the words from the cross, it is finished, he wasn't joking about that either. He had accomplished everything necessary for mankind to be redeemed. He accomplished everything so that you and I might be saved, so that death might be for us a doorway to life and life eternal with our God. In Revelation chapter 7, we get a picture of what this looks like. And amazingly, it shares a lot of things in common with the triumphal entry. John records in Revelation 7, 9 and following, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What we have here in Revelation 7 is a picture of the church triumphant, the church in heaven, in the presence of God forevermore. What we see there is all the saints whose earthly struggle has come to an end and who now rest with their king. Saints like Mike and Ron and Todd and Eldon who have now joined the heavenly throng of all those God has faithfully called home to be in a paradise with him. There they are, clothed in white, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, made to be perfectly righteous by the finished work of Jesus. And there they wave palm branches, just like the gathered crowd for the triumphal entry. And instead of calling out, asking for salvation from the Lord, they call out praising the Lord for the salvation he has won. And that's what this season of Advent is all about. Not just that a baby was born, but that God put on flesh to dwell amongst us, to live the life we never could, to die the death that our sins had earned for us and pay the price for it all, so that we might have the promise that for all who trust in Christ, on that day when God finally calls us home, we too will join that heavenly throng be clothed in white, waving palm branches and praising God for our eternal salvation as well. As John records further down in Revelation 7, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God keep us steadfast in the one true faith until that day when he too calls us to be with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season of Advent where we remember the birth of Christ, born to die that we might have life and life eternal in you. And we thank you for this triumphal entry passage where we remember Christ riding to the cross, bearing our sins so that we might be redeemed. And Lord, we thank you for the picture you give us of heaven in Revelation 7 of the saints at their rest with you. Keep us in the faith until that day you call us to join them. Pray this in your holy name. Amen.